Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the socialist feminist podcast that's the perfect ratio of trick to treat. Today we have Kellen, Bianca, Hope, Laura, and Julia. And we have some very special guests with us today. We are joined by the hosts of the Drunk Dish podcast, which is all about food history. So given that there are guests and that it is, of course, spooky season, we are talking about the Halloween traditions of candy and trick-or-treating. But before we get into that, let's welcome our guests. Uh, Welcome to Season of the Bitch. Would y'all like to introduce? Yeah. (laughs) Welcome, welcome. (laughs) Would y'all like to introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'll go first. So I'm Melissa. Uh, I am the resident drunk dish Scorpio. I suck all air out of a room when I enter into it. (laughs) Untrue. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's pretty much all you need to know about me. (laughs) (laughs) Melissa Uh, is also my internet girlfriend, so you may may know her from that. (laughs) Uh, I'm Kate and I'm um, a Libra. Um, I like long walks on the beach and um, (laughs) I do actually like pina coladas, but uh, I wanted to say I listened to somebody's little bit about why Libras are the worst. And, um, (laughs) and it was like, I was listening to it and I was like, you started off and you're like everybody loves libras everybody says libras are the best but really libras are the worst and uh i started out really really like indignant and i was like how dare you and then by the end i was like you're so right and then i was like that's why everybody hates us <laughs> literally nobody well hates done. You. nobody hates you <laughs> literally kate is the most likable person on the planet everybody that meets her loves her so that is inaccurate <laughs> but it's <laughs> information but it was a perfect description of how obnoxious <laughs> libras are so well done whoever whoever that was <laughs> it's a little plug for our uh, roasted episodes available mm. only on patreon i oh, feel like that was zoe because they, Sounds like Zoe. Yeah, like they were <laughs> self-roasting their Libra moons. But Ambria was also on it, and she can be very snarky about her Libra self. <laughs> it was well done. It was very <laughs> So, so now, now that the audience knows y'all, do you want to tell us a little bit about your podcast? Just so our guests know about your interests before we dive into the rest of, of our discussion. Oh, for sure. So uh, Drunk Dish is a a food history podcast. Uh, Essentially, the premise is uh, we get absolutely completely blitzed. And then we talk about how awful food history is, because (laughs) America is terrible. Uh Essentially, (laughs) every episode, but each episode, um, we have a fun question that we ask at the beginning about food or drink that we all answer. Um, I go into a little bit of drink history, and then we go into the actual topic um, for food history. Uh, And we actually do have an episode from last year on Halloween, if anybody wants to check it out. I got to plug myself. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Called uh, My My Lorona. (laughs) Episode 15, if you want to check it out. Perfect. Um, But yeah, just fun food stuff. It usually ends up getting political. I'm not going to lie. And we are all very left. So I mean, if well, if you don't like that, you're not listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> or if you do like that and you're listening to this podcast and you're looking for more ways to torture yourself, then mm-hmm. Drunk Dish sounds great. 
yeah, so that's that's pretty much it. We get belligerent and uh, scream about uh, American imperialism and food. Awesome, hell yeah! <laughs> Inevitably, um, Melissa and Amy hate each other and then love each other throughout the course of the <laughs> evening. We never uh, hate each other. We just have strong opinions. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's fun times. <laughs> Cool. So I thought that we could start with a little bit of history of trick-or-treating. Spooky scary. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So this started as a Celtic tradition as dressing up as evil spirits. They thought that there was this one day where the dead interacted with the living. And they thought that if they dressed up like the dead, that they could trick the dead into believing that they were one of them. Yes, we actually go into a more exhaustive history of Halloween as a holiday on our episode that is literally titled Halloween from 2018. So if you're interested in this, um, and there's so much to dig into there that I would definitely recommend jumping back to that episode as well. You can never get enough spooky season of the bitch content. That's true. That's so true. So then, as per usual, this is just a very Spark Notes version of some of these things. Um, But this is particularly about trick-or-treating. Um, As per usual, the Catholics had their influence, and trick-or-treating, or or what it was called um, at the time, which was guising from disguising, beginning in the Middle Ages, children and sometimes poor adults would dress up in the costumes and go around from door to door for what now is known as Halloween, begging for food or money in exchange for songs and prayers often said on behalf of the dead. This was called souling, and the children were called solers. Um, the term trick-or-treat itself dates back to 1927. Can I just say, so, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, please. Solers is like the most goth name ever. Oh, it is. <laughs> can I be a soler? Yeah, you can. I go around can. souling people? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you can. Um, so <laughs> the earliest known reference to trick-or-treat printed in in the November 4th, 1927 edition of the Blackie Alberta, Canada, Alberta, Canada Herald talks of this, quote, Halloween provided an opportunity for real strenuous fun. No real damage was done except to the temper of some who had to hunt for wagon wheels, gates, wagons, barrels, etc., much of which decorated the front street. The youthful tormentors were at back door and front, demanding edible plunder by the word trick-or-treat, to which the inmates gladly responded and sent the robbers away rejoicing. (laughs) Youthful tormentors, Kate. That's the name of our new band. That's a really good one. (laughs) So I think all of this is related to something that I learned about when I was preparing for this episode. Um, Halloween slash All Hallows Eve obviously is like long been a night that is brought about and in some cases celebrated mischief but unsurprisingly not everybody has been down with mischief um party poopers whatever Mm. it's true Uh, so yes (laughs) so authorities um used trick-or-treating as a way to sort of direct the mischief in manageable ways Starting around the 1930s, which fits in with the timeline Laura just established, towns and neighborhoods in the United States would actually organize Halloween trick-or-treating festivities as a kind of controlled mischief to keep people, if you're going to do something crazy, like do it 
in these confined spaces. Um, <laughs> then World War II happened and things kind of quieted down on the Halloween front, but they really picked back up in the 1950s with the suburban explosion and the baby boom. Lots of new little children and these new neighborhoods with single family homes in close proximity to each other. We've got the kind of Halloween you think of today in a lot of ways. And something that's interesting to me as I was thinking about all of this, and as a kid who grew up in the suburbs, is that suburban Halloween is like pretty much the only version of Halloween we see in the media, or at least it was when I was growing up. Things may have or hopefully have changed. But it was like to the point where when I got out of college and moved to New York, I was like, how do kids trick or treat here? Do you just like go door to door in your building? Like, what if you live in a small building? Like, how is this done logistically? Um, and obviously I learned it really depends on where you live in the city. Around me, um, where I lived that first year, kids went trick or treating in storefronts and local businesses gave out candy. But that was just like not something I'd ever seen represented before I saw it IRL. Yeah, that's a great point. And I have to jump in here because I also grew up in more of a residential neighborhood. But when I moved to New York, I also found out that like a lot of kids growing up go around to different apartments in their building. But in this one neighborhood I used to live in, which was mostly smaller buildings that would have been too small to do that, people would like go to each building and it's kind of like everyone sits out on their stoop and hands kids candy because these were all like brownstones that have like front steps. Um, but I found out that in order for people to know you were like giving out candy to kids, you had to register as like a house that had candy with the police department for so, some horrible hello. fucked up reason. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'll just like leave some candy out on the stoop and hopefully <laughs> some kids will take it. It all disappeared. So some either one or many children benefited. <laughs> Who knows? But um, I just thought that was a very weird like way that things are sometimes done in New York, apparently. Um, I also wanted to ask if anyone else did this thing growing up where you like go to a rich neighborhood to trick or treat there because they have like huge candy bars or just like give these ridiculous things. So I grew up in this neighborhood that was historically Orthodox Jewish and like a lot of people living there still were Orthodox Jews. And if you strictly observe Judaism, like you don't practice Halloween, you don't celebrate it. So a lot of the houses around me wouldn't give out candy. Um, but this one year I went with a group of friends to one of like the fancier, wealthier neighborhoods near us. And it was like every single house was giving out like king size candy bars, like <laughs> these kind of nice like toys, like I don't know, like whatever the equivalent of like a fidget spinner was when I was a preteen. It was like stuff like that. And it was just amazing for preteen me. Um, I think it's kind of interesting how Halloween is sort of one of the few times of year where it's like normal and acceptable for families of very different class backgrounds to interact and like working class kids to go into wealthy neighborhoods. Um, I'm just wondering like if anyone else had this kind of experience or any other class experiences around Halloween. Um, and like, do we think that there's radical potential in this concept of working class children swarming rich neighborhoods once a year? and making them like spend thousands of dollars on candy? Or is this more of like kind of a pressure release valve that prevents poor kids from developing actual class consciousness and animosity towards the elite that live near them? Mm. This is such an I, interesting, mm. sorry, go ahead. I was gonna second what Kellen was saying. That's a really interesting, fascinating point. Mm -hmm. Off, like my first gut reaction is, it's just a way of making rich people feel better. 
mm-hmm. because they yeah. feel like I'm so magnanimous. I do all the good things. I give the big candy bars <laughs> to all the kids, no matter where they come from. And that's just like so obnoxious because really it costs them so little. Yeah. They probably bought like a giant bag at Costco of king size bars. Oh my God. But yeah, when right. you're little, you really are like, wow, these rich people are so nice. Look how cool they are. So mm-hmm. just, I think it perpetuates class issues. There, there is an, a, an episode of Bob's Burgers that's like based on the idea of the three main kids. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. I love there. that episode. <laughs> I love it so much. For people who haven't seen it, it's like based around this working class family in like coastal Maine, I think. Um, and so in this Halloween episode, the kids take the ferry over to an island where the rich people live because it's rumored that over there they give out like king size candy bars but there are definitely like bob's burgers in this episode and in a lot of other episodes does not shy away from like the class implications of what they're talking about so highly recommend all of bob's burgers but also that specific episode of bob's burgers (laughs) yeah I definitely did do this. Like I grew up in a suburb where there were lots of different like neighborhoods that were like, I guess like different plans. Like there was a main street in a neighborhood and all these little side streets with cul-de-sacs, but they were all kind of like separate from each other. But you would like be able to walk to each neighborhood very easily. So it was like a really easy thing to go to like 60 or 70 different houses in the course of one night. But like growing up, it was like, I don't think that many people moved around a lot. So we always knew not just which neighborhoods were the wealthier ones, but like which houses, houses. gave out mm-hmm. the best mm-hmm. candy bars. So true. Um, and it, I think there was also this correlation between like the like amount of Halloween decorations a house had and the size of the candy bars they gave out or the amount of candy <laughs> they gave out. Like truly the houses that like gave out the biggest like king size candy bars were also the ones that had like 20 million cobwebs and all these pumpkins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like I yeah, very easy to ID. Um I feel like growing up, I don't know if I developed like any like substantive sense of class consciousness when I was experiencing this. I was just like, oh, this house gives me good candy. Cool. And <laughs> that was like <laughs> the amount that I was like the extent to which I processed it. Looking back, mm-hmm. I agree with Hope though. From their perspective, they're probably like, you know. I'm such a good rich person. Look at me. No matter whether they're black, white, or purple, I give them candy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the the neighborhood I grew up in was one of these neighborhoods, I think. Um, And the way that it was set up was like off of the main road in this suburb, um, there were three streets. My house was at like the very end of the third street. So we didn't actually, we barely ever got any trick-or-treaters at my house. And obviously, as Bianca was saying, like, even within one neighborhood, houses are a lot different. And I definitely grew up upper middle class, but there were people in my neighborhood who had, like, a literal mansion. Um, Or at least, I don't know what is actually considered a mansion, but it seemed like it. They had fucking tennis courts, so it's a mansion. These days, a townhome is a mansion. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, but anyway, that specific house that had the, like tennis courts and stuff like that i i remember that they would like they would like bring back chocolate from belgium like they would go to belgium (laughs) every year and then like bring back belgium chocolate for halloween and it was truly the most insane thing of my life um and i remember it was a thing like you had to go to that house first because they would run out of that candy and then and then they would give like whatever their costco bag candy but i felt like 
Um, the, the only class consciousness I had about it is it felt the same as like neighbors freaking out if your lawn wasn't mowed. Mm-hmm. Um, like this weird suburban trying to one up each other in this like faux pristine mm-hmm. hellscape. Um, and I definitely remember kind of feeling unnerved about it and, and again, feeling like confused by the whole thing. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it's a, definitely an interesting point to bring up. And I do want to add that um, I kind of had this experience. I did live in the neighborhood that was uh, more well-to-do. There were a lot of big houses, a lot of farmhouses on a lot of land. Um, we ourselves lived in a farmhouse on five acres. But it was an odd thing because we were actually dirt poor. The house had been left to my mom. Who was she was a single mother had been left to my mom from my grandmother um, but we had no money at all and i remember very clearly being annoyed by all of my neighbors because their parents treated me differently um mm. i would go to their house and like they would have you know kool-aid coolers which it was like when i was a kid was like the thing oh and yeah And I would have one. And then when I left, my friend told me, oh, my mom said, you have to leave that here. You can't leave with it. And I was like, oh my gosh, what? And this happened multiple times where like, I was looked at, like I was coming over just to like raid their pantry, which I mean, I'm not going to lie. I definitely did raid their pantry. (laughs) We were poor and we didn't have food. Um, So when Halloween came around, it almost felt to me like, oh, I'm going to get them. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> my brother and I, there were multiple Halloweens where my brother and I actually changed costumes so that we could go back out. Oh, wow. oh my God. That's amazing. That's Powerful. dedication. Like- <laughs> and as a kid, I mean, in my brain, I wasn't saying, yeah, these motherfuckers. Um, but <laughs> I mean, it was definitely that vibe. Like I'm getting you, like mm-hmm. I'm getting this extra candy and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's so, a fantastic mischief. Yeah. That yeah. is fantastic <laughs> mischief. <laughs> I was going to say, too, because I think like a lot of the neighborhoods near me, it was like, if you didn't live in the neighborhood, they would get mad and they would be like, are you really from here? Like, do you really live here? Um, If your costume wasn't didn't look like fancy enough or like visibly wasn't you weren't like that wealthy. So it did kind of feel like you were getting something over on them as a kid if you managed to get right. like the giant candy bars. <laughs> yeah, like if you're seven, you show up at their front door, like they're not going to be so heartless as to be like, actually, you can't have candy. They like reluctantly give it to you, which is oh, right. Really <laughs> but you still get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely saw it happen and it was very fucked up. But I feel like for the most part, if you were cute enough and like mm. small enough, they'd just be like, yeah, you can have mm-hmm. some candy. Yeah. I had this really, I have a very strong memory of being like probably six or seven years old. And I remember I was dressed up like a unicorn and I was trick or treating and I took a piece of candy and the people were, they were wasted and they were like, oh, you're so cute. Take more candy. So I took like a handful and I remember this guy was like, oh, it's the unicorn from hell. She's trying to take all of our candy. (gasps) Oh no. Oh my God. And like the the intense shame from that is still like burned in my spirit. I was like, oh no, you told me to take more. No, you should have been like, I am from hell. Murder this man. I feel like unicorn from hell is actually low-key a cool thing to be. Yeah. So I think we should reclaim <laughs> that identity. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for, for healing my childhood wounds on this episode Aww. of this yes. pod tonight, everyone. <laughs> when I was um, sort of two sides to the same coin, um, when I was a kid, 
the neighborhood that I grew up on was I lived with my grandparents and so it was kind of a, an older development and it was definitely um, upper middle class, but it was old people. So I absolutely got um, the handmade, like the, the um, it would have either been popcorn balls or, you know, people made caramel apples. Um, I absolutely got pencils and dimes. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. and yeah. And it was, there were definitely like Werther's and, you know, like Smarties and stuff. So, oh, um, Smarties. No, no yeah, Werther's yeah. are legit. And I love Smarties. So. I agree. I love both. <laughs> and it could be because of um, Halloween trick-or-treating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that's the, that's what the neighborhood was like when I was little. And then as I grew up, I stayed in the same home and I became the house that decorated the crap yes. out of the place mm-hmm. and like we would have you know just we'd have like people with um you know chainsaws you know and and it was it was wild and we had a really good time and like just like a pumpkin forest on my front lawn and yeah we would absolutely have big candy because I think um it also scared the littlest kids so much that <laughs> they knew that that was where they could get a big candy bar, but they had to brave <laughs> coming down that driveway in order to get it. So it was a, a little, um, that was, that was fun. But then also in that town, um, my street was sort of like, it was a, it was a circle. And so people would like practically bust their kids in from other places nobody cared um but it was like the beginning of there was a downtown where the shops would close or you know um for the night but they would stay open for the kids and and the whole main street would just be massive amounts of kids and it was it was wild i for a while had a shop down there and like our October budget had to be about $1,500 bigger than every other month because of trick-or-treating. It was cool. Yeah, it was crazy. So, and we as a shop um, did not give out big candy. It was like, you get one little teeny tiny piece of Snickers because I'm going to have to give this out to 10,000 kids that are going to come through. Um, But yeah, it was, it was really it was really wild. And since I've moved from that place, I've tried to, I've tried to like re, um, capture that fire. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, so my house right now, I've got pumpkins everywhere and I've got lights and everything, but, um, my street is not a good trick or treater street. And even when I sit out on the front stoop with a witch hat on and a pumpkin next to me and a bowl of candy still I don't see a lot of kids on Halloween and it's it's so sad <laughs> for those wondering Kate did grow up in a fairy tale village in New Hampshire it so. is true it is <laughs> <Yes>. absolutely true <laughs> well that kind Aww. of um brings me to what I was going to ask y'all next um so something I remember when I was a kid was the switch from homemade treats to like those fun sized individually wrapped candy bars yeah um and at the time People were worried that evil people would put things like sewing needles in candy apples. So, yeah. So I saw that I did want to make a comment on this. So this is actually something that technically happened. Yeah. It was just like they blew it out of proportion. Yes. Yeah. So it was a razor blade in an apple. um, And initially when it was reported, it was, oh, this child got this apple in their trick or treat bag. 
oh my God, tell everybody that candy isn't safe, like going to people's houses when in actuality it was someone in the family um, that had done it. Oh my God. Within that house. Yeah. So like it wasn't, right. but then 100% like the candy companies just were like, ooh, money. Yeah, no, it, there was a huge <laughs> campaign. And then I obviously, because we've done, we've done episodes on big corn and stuff like that, I was like, the more I looked into it, it seemed <laughs> like it was more of an advertising campaign by big candy. And then I was like, wait, what if big candy is just big corn because of corn syrup? And then I was like, it's all coming back to corn being extremely evil. But then Ooh, yeah. um, it made people feel like they wouldn't be safe unless they got those sealed packages. And I remember my mom being like, you can't take things that aren't yeah. in a sealed package. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to kind of toss that out as a food thing that had switched from the past. This is so fucked up. I just have to pipe in and say, like, the blind faith we have in companies and big corporations to make things that are good and safe, contrast to the best of our neighbors and friends, is right. Yeah, Yeah. awful. Yeah, in something that is like not uh, not a red flag at all. My partner is obsessed with this TV show about like historical poisoning. And um, <laughs> I keep being like, why are you so into this? <laughs> Wait, hold up. What show is this? I mean, um, I'll, I'll, I'll have to ask him. I'll get back to you with it. It's something that Asking he's watching. for a friend. Yeah, like on, yeah. I think it's a, maybe like a history channel show or PBS, but it's like all about uh, the historical poisoning stories. Hmm. Um, but it used to happen all the time. And it was so often mm-hmm. that it was really hard to tell if someone had been murdered or not, because half the time the things that companies were selling you were just poisoning you. So I was thinking about in the context of this, like, hysteria about the safety of children, and the whole thing is just gross. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's also, there's this um, sociologist who specifically studies, like, myths around candy poisoning. That's incredible. um, His name is Joel Best, and according to his research, no child has ever been seriously injured by candy that they got through trick-or-treating. Like, you were talking about like the razor and the mm-hmm. apple like a lot of these cases were actually a parent trying to harm their child or like a relative who then said like oh this was something they got from trick-or-treating but it really wasn't um or they were oh, cases of like kids who had other medical issues um on halloween such as this one kid who had like a strep infection that was undiagnosed and then, like, it's reported as, was this a candy mm-hmm. poisoning? But it's like, no, it wasn't. It was just something unrelated. Um, so it is really interesting how the press, like, amps up these ideas about, like, stranger danger, um, mm-hmm. even though there's not really any evidence that this has been a thing that has actually happened. For anybody who's on the edge of their seats, the show is called The Poison Squad on PBS. <laughs> Thank God. you. To check that out. <laughs> I also need this recorded in case I end up poisoned so I can be like, I knew it. I knew he was watching that show as research. (laughs) Yeah, I was I was thinking about this and like I don't think I ever got homemade goods for Halloween, but I do like there was no transition because I think I always got like wrapped stuff. But it did remind me of um, this neighborhood tradition where before Halloween, you would get treats on your doorstep from a neighbor, and then you would have to pay it forward by anonymously leaving treats on three more neighbors' doorsteps until the whole neighborhood had been, quote-unquote, ghosted. We called it ghosted um, because you had to leave this like little... 
little drawing of a ghost with the treats for the family. And then like, once you got ghosted, you would put the, you would tape your like ghost up like the picture in your window so that nobody else would ghost you. Um, which is just so funny. Like if you today were like, sorry, I've already been ghosted. You can't ghost me now. Um, if only it works that way, regardless, um, despite this being like an established neighborhood tradition. And also despite our knowing like literally everybody who lived on our street, my mom was still worried that people wouldn't trust the treats that they got if they didn't know who they came from. And it's like, what is the concern here? Like that someone's going to poison the treats. Like ours were usually not homemade anyway. So is somebody like, is my mom like sliding needles through wrappers and into candy bars? Like it didn't really make sense. Mm-hmm. But like with a little drawing of a ghost, my mom would write this riddle that made it obvious like, who the treats were coming from it was not a hard riddle just to reassure her friends who she was leaving candy for that the candy didn't come from like some deranged killer (laughs) um and it seemed like overkill to me at age eight and now that we're talking about it in this context it's like extra sad that she felt like she had to do that you know yeah yeah wow I've never heard of that tradition I think this also speaks to like my youth because all of my memories of trick-or-treating were uh receiving like store-bought pre-wrapped candy like I never received a homemade treat ever so I feel like by the time I like was trick-or-treating or or I remember trick-or-treating it had already reached the phase where everybody was like handing out like pre-wrapped store-bought candy already yeah yeah um I guess in terms of like I guess my only connection to this is when I was young, I remember there was this one year where my dad was like, oh, why don't we hand out these candies that I got at the Chinese grocery store? And I like personally really love these candies growing up. Like they were so good. I can't find them anywhere now, but it's like a Butterfinger, but without the chocolate coating and it's like less sticky, like that's the texture Ooh. of it. But instead of the peanut butter flavor, it would be like really interesting other flavors. There was like black sesame, almond Ooh. there was like a spicy sweet one it was like it was Ooh. so good but like even though I liked it so much my dad was like do we want to hand this out to the kids and I was like no like I don't want our house to be like the weird house like what if the kids like don't trust the candy because like they've never seen it before and it's like all in Chinese um and also because the only candy I'd ever gotten in my years of trick-or-treating were like the U.S. brands and so I was like this is right. what is considered normal and quote-unquote trusted here so I was like, oh, that's probably, I, I think it's just like an interesting facet of like trick-or-treating specifically in white neighborhoods, like yeah. specifically in like the early to mid 2000s. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay. So switching gears a little, I guess this is more of my own personal experience, but I grew up outside of Pittsburgh, which is about a three or four hour drive from Hershey, Pennsylvania. So when I was growing up, I went to Hershey Park and Hershey's Chocolate World a lot. Um, So in preparation for this episode, I was doing research into the history of that manufacturing company. And I found that, so in 1903, Milton Hershey, who founded the Hershey Company, began building this chocolate plant in what would later become known as Hershey, Pennsylvania. Um, It was like this unincorporated town beforehand. But the way that plant was manufactured very much aligned with like the quote unquote ideals at the time when manufacturing and industry labor were still influenced by the industrial revolution. And so that factory was built like without any windows so that workers would not become distracted while they were working. Um, And actually Hershey Park, like the amusement park that exists now was created so that the factory workers 
could like do leisure activities while not on the job. So it was like this like company sanctioned leisure activity center, which is like really wild. And I don't know if this is like a stretch <laughs> or not, but as I was just thinking about this, it literally reminds me of like tech companies now, like Google or whatever, mm-hmm. touting all these amenities yeah. they have for their workers. Like, oh, like on premises, we have like 10 massage therapists and five game rooms and you can get anything you want for lunch or whatever. And like they say it's the name of like employee wellness or employee happiness. And maybe it does make their employees happy, but I think their ultimate goal as a company is not so that their employees are happy, is so that their employees can then be more productive or like right. be tethered to the office because they don't need to go somewhere else to get a massage. They can get a massage mm. on the 11th floor um, and then go back to their chair and work all the time, therefore 100%. making profits for them. 100%. Yeah, like I, <laughs> it just was this like through line that I was like thinking about as I was reading this. Yeah, um, I just, sorry, yeah. I want to add real quick. I go work ahead. for one of those giant technology companies And it's something that I've struggled with at work being told that I'm not appreciative or I'm not grateful Mm. because when they provide us with food, they provide us with a cooler with drinks that we can, you know, get anytime we want. They provide us with all these things during the holidays, which mind you, we're working Thanksgiving, Black Friday and all weekend. And they provide us with a room where we can like chill and relax for a couple hours um, that they're doing that out of the goodness of their hearts. And I'm like, no. No, they're not. Like, Mm -hmm. I I appreciate having free food, of course, like everybody does. But don't try and tell me that I should be grateful at this giant (laughs) dollar company for giving me a freaking Coke Zero (laughs) on my break. So like what I read, I I heard that and I was just like, oh, my God, I feel this so much. (laughs) And I'm not even getting the like ping pong tables and massages and stuff. I'm getting like the base level. Yeah. No, I have friends who work at offices that are like that. And my sister right now, she's in college still, but she's like applying to like CS related internships. And she's like, kind of like fascinated by all of the amenities. But I'm like, no, Ashley, that's how they get you. You can't (laughs) fall for it. (laughs) Um, But uh, going back to Hershey, which is, I guess, what I was talking about before. um, Hershey has actually come under fire many times for like ethically dubious things they've done. And as recently as last year in 2019, they stated that they could not guarantee that their chocolate was produced in a way that is free from child labor because they said that only 50% of the chocolate they produced could be like actually traced back to a farm or any production line. Lies! That was like untraceable. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, like that is their statement. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Companies love to hide behind that. They're not the only ones, but yes. Yeah, it's like how do you have ignorance over this thing that you control whatever um so as a result there's been a lot of different movements to put pressure on hershey to at least put some effort into like sourcing and producing their chocolate using fair trade measures like this is not to say that if you're gonna enjoy a hershey's bar or reese's peanut butter cup we're gonna like hashtag cancel you i just think it speaks more to like how industry giants become industry giants in the first place Mm -hmm. like through these cost cutting and unethical measures on a different note, I also just think it's really sad because personally, I don't like Hershey's chocolate as much as other kinds. It just doesn't taste as good to me. But my question for everybody in the Drunk Dish hosts are, like, do you have any thoughts on like chocolate manufacturing in the U.S. and globally? And like, do you think it's possible for us to be ethical consumers of chocolate and not spend like $10 on every chocolate bar we buy? <laughs> um, I don't know if that's possible because like, 
capitalism dictates that there has mm-hmm. to be this trade-off mm-hmm. between ethically made and affordable. Mm-hmm. And also, do you agree with me that Hershey chocolate tastes just okay? <laughs> so I have so much to say about this. Mm-hmm. First of all, I have the very unpopular opinion. I love Hershey's chocolate. Um, and part of that is because I don't like things that are too sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hershey's chocolate specifically has, it's kind of bitter and it's kind of got a tang to it. And that comes from it, the fact that it used to be manufactured using spoiled milk, which is really gross when you think about it, but that's why it had its tang. And now they use something called um, butric acid to kind of give you that like tang and that bite, which I really appreciate 100% knowing that it is a trash chocolate. Um, <laughs> and pretty much the entire world sees it as like the inferior chocolate brand. I totally get it. I just find stuff like, like lint chocolate or Godiva, um, so unbearably sweet that like, I can't even handle it. Um, And I have a ton of stuff to say about the chocolate industry, but I want to give Kate a chance to tell us how she feels about Hershey before I take all of the time. (laughs) Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm indifferent about Hershey. It's not my favorite by any stretch of the imagination. I feel like it has that weird, like, um, and it's that, it is that um, spoiled milk thing. It's like Mm -hmm. that sort of sick flavor that I'm not a big fan of. That being said, I think if I had lived um, close to Hershey Park when I was a kid, I've heard those stories about like the whole town smelling like chocolate. And that's, that's oh. appealing. <laughs> that yeah, it's it's like that. how Buffalo <laughs> smells like Cheerios. It's a similar thing. It's like a Rust Belt secret. Yeah. Because <laughs> we, have these, like, we have these weird smells with our cities. And that's and it, unlike Ho- Hoboken, right? Um, so... <laughs> I think that there's, um, I think there's definitely better choices as far as flavor <laughs> of chocolate and even texture. Like I'm more of a, like Cadbury chocolate is the, it's like still super mass marketed, super, um, you know, high quantity, obviously, but it's a completely different. Oh, I'm about to ruin your day, Kate. No, no, no. But I, but you know what I mean? <laughs> texture wise, it's a totally different oh, yeah, texture of sure. chocolate. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm go for it. Ruin, ruin away. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, as we know, I mean, there's essentially no ethical consumption under, under capitalism. Mm, of course. Um, the show, The Good Place, did a really good job at kind of showing this. I don't know if anybody's seen it, but at one point yes. they're talking to like kind of the judge of all things. Yes. And she's like, but these people, you know, took part in this and this is bad. And they're like, but go down and see what it's about. And she goes down and she's like, I spent weeks trying to figure out if I could buy a tomato or not. Right. Because there's just so much to take into account. So besides the child labor, obviously we have to look at like deforestation, the underlying poverty of the people that are actually doing the work, um, the pesticides and stuff that are used that are causing all sorts of health problems. Ultimately, uh, what it comes down to is people like our companies like Hershey, Mars, Cadbury, um, and Nestle source their chocolate from places over um, like Ghana and Nigeria. Um, and those are the places that are having uh, the huge issues with child labor and child slaves. Um, I also wanted to note like another weird one that has nothing to do with candy is shrimp. 
Um, so in Thailand, a lot of the people that actually spend the time deshelling and prepping shrimp are either adult slaves um, or child slaves working side by side. Um, oh. And it's horrific. And yeah. that's the majority of the shrimp that we get in the United yeah, States. So totally. it's like, what are you going to do? Obviously, not everybody can afford super fancy chocolate. Um, and I wanted to reiterate what Bianca said with um, Nestle, Mars, and Hershey all got in trouble for in 2019 because years ago they said that they were going to stop using child labor and they were like, JK, uh, mm-hmm. we don't think we can do that. And part of that issue is that the government has no real way of putting anything in place that says you cannot source your ingredients from these locations. Because if you source your chocolate from um, Central and South America, I mean, there's still going to be problems in terms of labor rights. There's still going to be problems in terms of deforestation, but they do not have any of the problems with slavery or child labor that they do overseas. Um, So a lot of the more expensive brands are sourcing their chocolate from Central and South America. So that's like one of the things that you can look for to be like, can, is this good chocolate? Um, Is this going to do the least amount of harm if you really, really, really need that chocolate? Because when you look at um, what can we do to make this better, boycott seems to be the only thing anybody says, use your dollars, right? Um, But if you look at the companies, I mean, (laughs) it's insane. These, These companies control so many food brands that you would have to completely cut out if you're going to make any sort of difference. I mean, obviously Reese's has like, uh, or sorry, Hershey has like Reese's and Mr. Good Bar, which I, I don't know who on the planet actually eats Mr. Good Bar. Um, <laughs> but then they also have things like Jolly Ranchers, mm. Twizzlers, and a bunch of different types of gum and mints. And then you look at Nestle, they are Gerber, like they're Gerber baby. Um, they do Nestle tons- is everything. <laughs> yeah, they do tons of bottled water. They've got Cheerios, Toll House, Nescafe, Butoni, Hot Pockets, Lean Cuisine, like so many things. And then they also have food, um, animal food brands, which is a whole other, <laughs> it's a whole other thing because um, there you're looking at Alpo, Beneful, Fancy Feast, Friskies, Purina, and all of those brands have had issues mm. in the past with pretty horrific um, animal testing practices. Oh, oh uh, no. I yeah. My cats eat friskies. Yeah. It's <laughs> Momo tough. and Gerald are canceled. Canceled. <laughs> Cancel them. Exploiting other cat labor. This is terrible. <laughs> it's awful, oh. guys. Don't look into it. It's terrible. Um, oh. And IMS is not part of those like companies, but IMS is also really bad. I'm just going to throw that out there if anybody's wondering. <laughs> um, and then Mars, you've got like Eclipse, Orbit, Uncle Ben's. Uh, pedigree for animals, lifesavers, like, and then Cadbury's awful, also really bad um, because they refuse to source their chocolate from like anywhere else. And they're just like, sorry, sorry about it. Um, so I've kind of gone on a rent rant here. It's extremely hard to know what brands are or aren't ethical. Um, you can pretty easily discover brands that use child labor, which is good. And you can just stop supporting those brands, which I know can be difficult because I mean, it's Twix and Snickers. It's all the like big candy bars that people love. So then you kind of just have to make that choice for yourself, um, how you're going to feel about it and what you're going to try and do to make change. Um, and then as you mentioned before, I think Bianca, you mentioned fair trade, um, which is great. The only thing with fair trade is that the farmers have to pay to have that certification. 
Um, and it can cost thousands of thousands of dollars to get that and they have to renew it every year. So a lot of smaller farms can't afford to get that fair trade designation, even though they're fair trade, oh. um, which is really frustrating. So something else that you can look at that I found was that you want to look for stuff that says direct trade. Um, and that is not a certification. So granted, a company could totally lie about it. Um, but what it normally means is that the producer of the product visits the farms where they source the chocolate and they make everything um, make sure everything is on the up and up. Um, and often they have like a personal relationship with the farmers that continue on, uh, continues on through years and years and years. Um, and like I said before, try and source your chocolate from Central and so South America, um, because at least there you can avoid the child labor issues, uh, whereas there's a bunch of other issues that you can't avoid. Mm -hmm. But it's bad. It's all bad. And I don't know, I don't know how you fix it. I don't know how you ethically consume because I you have spent not. a lot of my time yeah trying to be an ethical consumer and just uh failing <laughs> at every turn because it's just really difficult yeah so sorry that was my rant <laughs> no sorry no sorry I, I also just wanted to add just to like put some numbers into this that Americans spend 2.6 billion dollars a year just on Halloween candy um, and I'm sure it's probably down this year with fewer communities actually trick-or-treating, but like, wow. And the other thing I wanted to add is that apparently Halloween is now the country's second biggest retail holiday, I guess, following only Christmas. So we're talking about like a huge industry, not just candy, but like specifically surrounding Halloween candy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, use your dollars is the best that you can do, which I mean, we've seen over and over again doesn't work. So I don't honestly know totally. what the solution is. Yeah, it's hard. Um, well, we're not going to solve it here today. Uh, <laughs> instead, um, I was wondering if y'all could talk about uh, the food history of the treats of the side of trick-or-treating before the mini candy bar traditions. What was the norm food-wise for people to do? Oh, yeah, for sure. So as you guys kind of already spoke about, um, Halloween originated as a Celtic holiday um, called Samhain. Um, Samhain. Samhain. Thank you. Um, we, I literally listened to our Halloween episode today <laughs> to refresh and we had the same exact conversation and I messed it up there too. Um, <laughs> so um, part of this was it's a, it's a harvest holiday. It's a um, a holiday that's all about kind of fertility and finding your matches and all this stuff. So food was always a huge part of it. I mean, the Celts would put out these giant banquets to appease any kind of unwanted spirits that were going to show up. And they would play mating games like bobbing for apples originally uh, started out as a mating game where girls would etch their initials into an apple and throw it in. And then when the boys came up with a particular apple that was said to be um, who they were going to marry. So fun stuff like that. Um, it's also all tied up in food because around this time, farmers would be um, doing the not great task of figuring out what animals were going to make it through the winter. Mm. Um, so they would pick the most sickly animals, the ones that they didn't think that was, were going to make it. And then they would kind they would slaughter those animals and then they would have to eat that food almost immediately because they didn't have, you know, preservation methods and stuff like that. So it's always been super tied to food. 
Um, but when we go way forward, as you guys talked about, Catholics stealing everything, um, they're like, hey, pagans, look, we're fun, too. We do Halloween, too. Um, and that's when kind of the trick-or-treating thing comes around with people going to people's houses and doing souling. Um, and what they would get generally when they did that was something called soul cakes. Um, and soul cakes are kind of like scones a little bit. They're, they're biscuit-like cakes um, made with butter, sugar, flour, seasonal spices, and then what other seasonal dried fruits are around, often currants. Um, so when you were souling, you were actually getting soul cakes in return for food, which was really, really cool. And then that eventually turns into devil's food cake, which is like a whole thing. Yes. <laughs> um, which is great. So like I said, souling, you, as you said, became an activity for children to go house to house asking for things. This evolved to them to being people asking for ale or alcohol. And then they started getting kind of rowdy. So people were like, we got to do something here to fix this. And then they would hand out, um, nuts and berries. Uh, and then later on as devil foods cake, devil's food cake kind of came along, it morphed into this super rich chocolatey dessert, which is honestly kind of baffling. Um, but a real quick explanation of that is that chocolate cake didn't really exist. Um, if you wanted chocolate, you had to ask for like white cake with mm. chocolate frosting. So when they made soul cakes that were super dark and um, super spiced, they said, oh, this is dark like chocolate. It's devil's food. And then that eventually translated into devil's food cake that we know now, oh um, which is crazy. Mm. Uh, and then uh, another thing that's super fun is kind of the introduction of um, like lanterns, like jack-o'-lanterns. Yes. So originally the Irish were the first to do this practice, but they, um, pumpkins didn't grow on in Ireland because nothing grows in Ireland, as I said, it's just freaking rock. Um, so they made stuff out of potatoes um, and sometimes turnips. And if you want to look up these turnip lan lanterns online, they are terrifying. <laughs> um, <laughs> they are so scary. Um, and then they came over to the United States. It took a while for Halloween to catch on because the Puritans suck. So in the Northeast, we didn't really have Halloween because they hate everything. Um, it caught on in the South. <laughs> and eventually the Irish said, hey, pumpkins, which are native to the United States. It's, it's one of the only native crops to the United States, that and corn. Mm -hmm. And they started making lanterns out of those, um, which is great. And then when we get around to World War II, um, we really saw the rise in um, other like bringing back soul cakes because there was a sugar ration. Um, so a lot of chocolate companies and stuff weren't able to produce the candies that they used to produce. So during World War II, we saw um, soul cakes coming back, but altered to be the devil's food cake form, which I just talked about, which were heavily spiced and super dark. Um, and then eventually became the cake we know today. And that was all over the place. So thank you. No, it was so good. <laughs> Learned so much. That's what it's all about. I know. So Hope had to drop out because she had to take care of little Jojo. But mm -hmm. um, she wanted to make sure that this um, edition of her, quote, unpopular takes podcast <laughs> segment um, 
She wanted people to know that she loves candy corn and and especially the little pumpkins and wanted to know what everyone's feelings. (laughs) I'm literally the exact same. I love candy corns and my favorite (laughs) ones are the pumpkins. They're so good. They are so good. I hate how it tastes. I was going to say, am I the minority on this? Like that I hate candy corn? I I even like them when they're a little bit stale when they're stale because they're not as sickly sweet like they make my throat hurt they're so sweet they're very sweet yeah you can't eat like a whole handful of them i can eat like half a one no half of one candy corn (laughs) yeah i i cut it up with a little knife i portion it out colors y'all see that uh, candy corn pizza on twitter that's something Mm. Um, so the other thing which I think will be our last question unfortunately uh, because of time but uh, Hope wanted to know what people think the cutoff ages should be for trick-or-treaters she remembers being a very tall nine-year-old and getting scolded by drunk people handing out candy and she's still mad and honestly I'm now mad too on her behalf yeah yeah (laughs) 100 percent why would you gatekeep yeah who gives a shit just give them candy if you're dressed up and you're going for it i'm i'm all for it yeah yeah i just want to give people candy i don't get any trick-or-treaters in my building if it ended up being like all like 17 year old kids in my building getting candy i wouldn't care i'd just be like sick look at these costumes i'm handing out candy this is great yeah Yeah, I also just want to say, as someone with a younger sister who definitely continued trick-or-treating into my teen years, I obviously have to be on the side of no age cutoff. But I also think since the other common Halloween activities are usually, like, minor vandalism and getting blackout drunk, like, (laughs) shouldn't busybody adults want kids to keep dressing up cute and asking for candy as long as possible? Like, I don't know. I don't really know how their minds work, so who knows? But that just makes sense to me. (laughs) That was... That was my mom's logic. Like, I specifically remember her, like, having this conversation with her because she would get so annoyed at parents who, like, wouldn't give, like, you know, people who are clearly in high school candy. That's so mean. Because she was like, yeah. well, she was like, they should all get candy anyway. Like, yeah. I'm not going to, her rule and, like, the rule that I adopted is, like, you got a costume, you get candy. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, like, loosely defined costume, obviously. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, like, she was like, and my mom was kind of like a goody two shoes. Um, she's really sweet, but she was like, of course I'll give them candy. Like, come back next year. Don't go to the high school party where there's beer. Come back here <laughs> for some legal treats. You know, like, yeah. that, totally. was, that was very much it. I just want to say that I trick-or-treated at least until 10th grade. Oh, like, same, too. same. Also nice. because I had a younger sister, as Julia was saying. So I like went with her a lot. Oh, but I also- went with friends. I just fucking, yeah. any excuse to dress up. Yeah. is gonna be yeah. something so I want to do yeah and then my senior year I was like okay I don't think I want to go trick-or-treating this year but I'm gonna be the person who hands out the candy. yes yeah yeah <laughs> like that was the role I ended up taking after I was like after I chose to be done with trick-or-treating. right and, and you, you know still what dress up like you still dress yeah. up yeah, yeah. yeah. totally yeah. Mm-hmm. so it's no. so fun I just had this insane thought. It's not actually that insane, but to me, it's insane. It's that maybe these people are gatekeeping because they see this as an act of charity and 
they don't like it when someone older shows up at their door because they think you could be working and buying your own candy. <laughs> right. So like if it's let's a kid, force you into adulthood. Right. If it's a kid, well, they can't work, so they can't buy their own candy. This isn't socialism because <laughs> they literally can't right. provide it for themselves. Yeah. They're just children. But a 15 year old shows up and they're like, you could be working down at the gas station. So why would I give you free candy? Like, I'm just thinking of all the like crazy political people that like try and do the memes around Halloween about socialism where they're yeah, like, like I stole all my kids candy. That's, yeah, that's socialism. socialism. <laughs> right. So I'm thinking like, these are yes. the same people that probably freak out when an, an older person. And when I say older, I mean a teenager shows right. up trick or treating at their door. Also right. if an adult yeah. shows up, give them the, a fucking shot. Like, yeah. That's your problem. <laughs> Yeah. Have a little basket of nips for the parents because you know oh it's cold God. out there. You know <laughs> it's such a good idea. idea. Yeah. Kate, let's do that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Neither one of us get trigger treaters. So. No, it's <laughs> such a bummer. I, I think it's I think it's also like just adults that are super party poopers and just are like no having fun, you know? <laughs> and yeah. If, if I can't be out there having fun, then you, how dare you, 17 year old, be out there having fun? <laughs> you should also, be working. Yeah. Like, or, or being right. It's got to be the same adults who like think that adults aren't allowed to dress up. So <laughs> yeah. like they're just yeah, yeah, sad yeah. that they can't have any fun. Mm-hmm. So Not to like mm-hmm. bring it back to class, although always. Um, but I know that like in my neighborhood, like I definitely lived in like a neighborhood where people would come from like neighborhoods that had less money would come to like our neighborhood to go Mm trick-or-treating and I know that a lot of adults that were my neighbors resented that because like my mom would that was another thing my mom would make comments about about how like you could tell that like parents resented giving candy to people who were not from the neighborhood Mm -hmm. and that was another thing is that a lot of the older kids tended to be people from outside our neighborhood probably because like i mean you could keep getting candy i don't know like they didn't have as much at home like there's a logic to it where if you could keep getting candy for longer like why wouldn't you do it as opposed Mm -hmm. to some of the kids who lived in my neighborhood where like they didn't really want for anything there may not have been like a need to go trick-or-treating in quite the same way if you know what i mean And Mm. so I think that like a lot of the resentment, at least in my neighborhood that I tended to see from adults came from people who were like upset that they were going to have to give like, you know, working class kids candy that they bought and they, but like, it wasn't really like politically correct to be annoyed about that, Mm. but you could be annoyed that like older kids were trick or treating. Right. And so a lot of the hostility to older kids trick or treating. And I think also one of the reasons, like my mom did joke about being like, don't drink beer, like come back here again. But like another reason was that she was like, no, we're not going to be hostile to people who are like guests in our neighborhood. Um, And this is an excuse to be hostile basically. Totally. Mm. Well, this was such a such a ride. Happy <laughs> Dude, Halloween, y'all. Yeah, happy Halloween. Um, and thank you so much, Kate and Melissa. It was such a treat. Ha, <laughs> yeah. uh, good one. I see thank what you, you did there. so much. Yes. I'm quick witted. Um, <laughs> but seriously. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, it was a thank you for having a us. delight. Yes, thank you. It was so much fun. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. That was so great to have both of our amazing guests on. Um, 
If you liked what you heard, which why wouldn't you? You can give us money on Patreon at patreon.com slash season of the bitch. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at season of the bee. Send us an email, season of the bee at gmail.com. And check out our website, season of the bee.com. Um, we got new merch on there. Yes, yes. it's God, so exciting. So we have some amazing merch that's ready. Um, <laughs> I'm personally so excited to get some for myself. So you yes. should definitely check that yeah. out. Um, and rate, review, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. <laughs> We're on Spotify. Check us out there. And yeah, that's that's it. That's Happy it. Halloween, everyone. Happy Let's Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Season of the Bitch. <laughs>